As entrepreneurs, we see the world differently. In a world that not only tolerates but promotes mediocrity, we unreasonably demand more. Giving you access to the world's most successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders, this podcast uncovers the untold truths of what it really takes to build a multi-million dollar business while optimizing your personal performance in every area of your life. I'm Jack DeLosa. Let's get to work. Hey team, welcome to this episode of the Jack DeLosa podcast. I'm super excited today to be joined by the legend Toby Pierce, co-founder and CEO <laughs> of Sweat App. Um, many of you are probably familiar with it, probably familiar with Toby's fiance as well, Kayla Itzines. These guys have become an incredible um, power couple here in Australia, wielding huge influence of an audience of 40 million people uh, all around the world and driving a movement of health and fitness globally. Recently, they've reached revenues of $100 million per annum. So we're here today to talk to Toby about how they have built a global movement and become uh, such powerful influencers in the health and fitness space globally. Toby, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, man. Thanks good, to, good to meet you. Yeah, yeah, I'm good to I'm surprised our paths haven't crossed before. Yeah, I've actually, I've known about you for ages. Um, like I, we've got a couple of people in Adelaide, local businesses who have, um, yeah, who I've connected with, who definitely know and have done your program. So yeah. they're both uh, raving reviews. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Vice versa, man. I know a lot of the people that, that, that subscribe to Sweat and that, that follow mm-hmm. you guys. And it's been an incredible journey. It's, uh, it's been pretty interesting and fun. <laughs> yeah, I think at, diff- at different points. Yeah. <laughs> interesting and fun. That's, that's as good as we can hope for. Yeah. Mate, before we get into it, uh, I understand that you came from a pretty challenging background and yep. childhood. Mm. Talk to us about that, you know, your, your early days and how they formed yeah. you. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, really simply put, like I think most people will have their own different troubles, obviously, growing up as kids. I mean, one way or another. Um, I think mine were, mine were perhaps just a little bit more challenging or different. But yeah. I think, um, yeah, I ended up, uh, yeah, ended up kind of, sort of not really finishing school property properly and, and such and um kind of ended up at a point in my life you know around 16 17 years old that was pretty challenging and um but i definitely think that you know as a result of that like i learned a lot of extremely valuable life skills that otherwise i you know potentially might not have right. um, so i think um you know just the the notion of being resilient and, and being independent and whatever at a young age i mean we all go through it at some point it's just i probably went through it a little bit earlier than yeah. um than what a few other people did but so when you say yeah. particularly challenging at 16 17 mm. and, and and go as as as, as deep or as otherwise as you would like but what what was going on in that point in your life for you well i mean so um in my last year of high school in year 12 like i i left home um so and uh, basically kind of yeah, I ended up in a position where, you know, not only trying to balance, like, tried to still kind of go to school, but also just balancing, like, how to actually genuinely get by in life, like, you know, place to place to sleep and eating and so on and so forth, general stuff. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, really, really, it just bought, it bought my life skills journey a couple of years earlier. You know? yeah. So a lot of people go through this kind of, you know, first, second year of uni or at the end of university. Um, you know, I was kind of put in a position where I, you know, was able to go through it at a younger age. But I think in many ways... Um, yeah, I think in many ways that's probably almost like created the perfect foundation, you know, for um, well, for my career as a personal trainer, and then you know, to to where I've been able to get to now. I love how you say I was able to go through it at a young age. You know, wh- one of the things that I do from a, even a recruitment perspective here mm-hmm. here with the entourage and other businesses is is I ask people about what was the hardest period of of their mm-hmm. life, and I, you know, I, I go in search of adversity. And the key thing I'm looking for is do they view that period of adversity as a gift? Mm. And as something that shaped them, 
or are they still a victim to it? And so mm. it's amazing to hear you that, you know, I was able to, it's almost like you're saying I was fortunate enough to go through that at a young yeah. age. Yeah. Well, it's the whole growth mindset thing, right? And, you know, I think, um, well, I mean, I hope that most business owners are you know, probably aware of the term, yeah. but I think, you know, being able to look at, yeah, everything either as a learning opportunity, um, you know, as a way to, you know, personally and professionally develop. And, um, you know, I think uh, a lot of the general skills, you know, like in independent skills that are required to be an adult also actually like literally transfer perfectly into business. That's right. Um, so I think it would be, yeah, I think it'd be almost a little foolish not to, not to say that that was an opportunity in, in many ways. Yeah, so. yeah. One of the things that I noticed, uh, Gerard Adams is a good friend of mine. Yeah, I was watching, good old Gerard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's an absolute <laughs> he legend. I have a lot of love for Gerard. It was interesting. He was interviewing uh, yourself and Kayla a few months back in New York, and uh, one of the things she said about you, she referred to you as the robot at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she drew on this sort of um, period in, in your journey where you decided you wanted to go deep and, and, and mm. better understand every department in the business and be mm. able to have conversations, even when it comes to software and you yep. know, development engineers. Yeah. Um, do you think that part of your ability to view everything as a skill and to, and to get mm. your hands dirty and to really... Mm. Because, because here's what a lot of entrepreneurs would do. They'd go, I'm not good at marketing, I'm not good at sales, or I'm mm. not a software engineer, I'm not even mm. going to try. But it sounds like you've got such a growth mindset where mm. it's like if I'm not good at something, I'll go there and I'll learn it. Mm. Do you think your, your earlier years contributed to that mindset and contributed to that strength of character? Yeah, I think so, potentially. But, I mean, if I'm really honest, like literally like as a kid, like that, that's just how I was. You know, right, so like, right. um, you know, um, you know, wanted a bike, like, got some parts and build a bike. Um, was fortunate <laughs> enough to buy one that worked properly later, but, you know, like definitely put together the first one. Um, you know, like even, you know, even with computers and whatever, like, you know, I don't, you know, buy a RAM stick, plug it in myself, you know, do all that sort of stuff. Like I just, uh, I think I was very curious, like from a young age. And if we were ever, you know, as a family, if we were ever kind of, you know, for whatever reason, throwing out an older piece of technology, like, you know, buy a new DVD player, get rid of the other one, like I wouldn't, I'd pull it apart. Yeah, before mm. we actually got rid of it or gave it to someone else and put it back together if we we're going to give it away. Just because mm. um, I always just had this really, you know, intimate curiosity about understanding like how things work. And I think, uh, yeah, from a leadership perspective about, you know, all the different teams and departments and whatever, I don't really think it's, yeah, I think I don't think it's really possible to be a great leader to people if you don't have at least some beyond surface level understanding of what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, And I think as well, like, you know, part of being a, a good leader and a good CEO is understanding how things plug in together and work. Yeah. yeah and you need to understand what the things are in order yeah. to understand how they actually interact. So, how do you do that? Like, if we if we mm. sort of push the pause button at that moment, you're sitting mm. there and you, you decide you want to go a little bit deeper into yeah. into the key functions. How how did you go about that self training journey? Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, a lot of reading. Yeah. Like, like definitely a lot of reading. Um, but I think. Um, yeah, outside the reading, I really think just asking the questions, you know, so where a lot of people um, would like, you know, like computer science is obviously a huge, like it's a huge, it's a huge space. Yeah. Um, I don't think there'd be many people that could say they have a grasp of all of it because the space is just so massive. But yeah, um, yeah there is obviously a, a whole bunch of like fundamental uh you know, pieces of information that do really go across the whole landscape, you know, so like what are the different programming languages, it's like how do they interact, um, what are APIs, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, and I think where, you know, in, in many regards, some people would kind of be working with a software engineer and whatever and not be concerned about how it works. Mm. They would just say, I want it to work, mm. whereas I'm kind of always the very the opposite. I'm always like, cool, like, so, but, but how does it work and but why does it work that way? Mm. And I think it's really important, um, 
you know, I think one of the one of the really you know key value adds for um, you know someone in a product management role or trying to build a product in general with software is the the translation of subject matter content you know to the engineer and to the designers. Mm. Um, and early on, that that was definitely part of my role. You know, being you know because you kind of the you with the business in the growth phase, you kind of go from being the chief everything officer. <laughs> You know, into the chief executive <laughs> officer. Um, I like that. I'm actually going to use that from now on, Toby. You've just given me. Yeah. I'll, I'll reference you every time I do. Thank you very much. Yeah. You pay the royalties. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> we'll up later. But um. But yeah. So I think like you know, going through that like you know, pre that transition. You know, if we're trying to you know build the app or whatever, and we always had a developer or a designer of the product. Like, oh, we need to design some stuff for recipes and for meals and whatever. Like. There needs to be obviously an explanation about what goes into that, like what pieces mm. of information, like there's units, how do we measure the units, there's ingredients, you know, whatever, right? Um, but like it's really important that you can communicate that in a design language and you can communicate that in a software engineering language so that those people can understand it as well. Um, so I think like, you know, really early on when we first started building the app, like that was something that I wanted to focus on because it just meant that we save time. Like fundamentally, we were able to do things a lot quicker. So is there a I'm I'm hugely curious in, in, in this particular uh, topic. Is there a point where you feel, and, and again, I'm kind of asking you to generalize and sort of uh, articulate an artificial point, but, but is there a point where you determine it's too detailed or too operational and, and, it's, and you or your mm. expertise just isn't required? Mm. And have you sort of defined what that point is? Oh, I think, uh, I think it's really kind of a feel, if I'm honest, yeah, like, um, yeah. because I think like the degree of information is going to kind of differ from different areas of the business and not even so much necessarily based on my understanding, but more so probably about the maturity of each department and yeah. the maturity of the individuals in that department. Yeah. You know, like, um, I mean, like really basic example is if you went and said to, um, you know, someone who's got 20 years experience in a senior or executive leadership role, can you please do A, B and C? They don't probably really need much context or explanation other yeah. than you want this done and kind of to be that way. Yeah. Whereas if you're working with someone who is potentially new to that space, yeah. like you need to have more of a detailed, like how does that actually happen day to day? Yeah. And like what systems and processes are we actually going to use and so on and so forth because yeah. they're, they haven't had the experience or the opportunity to learn how to do those things independently. Yeah. So I think um, more so about it being like a, a rule or a point in time where you're just like, cool, like I don't need to know information beneath that. You know, yeah. I don't need to understand um, how the zeros and ones convert to hexadecimal and so on and so forth, yeah. right? Like <laughs> it's more about, well, like who am I talking to and what's the audience? So, yeah, 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 right, right. And so let's go to 2013. You and mm -hmm. Kayla are dating. You're both personal trainers. You yep. decided to turn her training program into an mm -hmm. ebook, the Bikini Body Guide. Within yep. six months, we've got a million downloads. Mm -hmm. What were some of the, the, the keys, do you think, to, to gaining that traction? Um, well, I mean, uh, something I very often say is that, you know, what, what, what's a successful entrepreneur if not a problem solver? Okay. And so I think um, for us, you know, the first six months was really literally just hopping from one problem to another. Mm. I think, um, yeah, perhaps the, the, the only nuance there is that is actually being able to find the problem and create the problem so that you can get the solution. You know, so yeah. um, for example, like you know, my kind of first brush with marketing economics, um, you know, basically was like, oh well, you know, from what I can find online, we're converting quite well. Um, so it means the amount of people that are coming to our page to buy stuff, uh, we actually have a decent portion of them are purchasing things, but. So then the next level up from, well, there's, there's only two ways you go. You know, one way is you go further down the funnel and you say, well, of these people that have bought something, how do I get you to buy something again? Yep. You had to maximize effectively like average revenue per user or lifetime value. Or alternatively, if you want to grow the number of sales you're having, well, and it's not this, then you have to bring more people in. Yep. So two different problems. Yep. 
so what are the solutions? And then, so literally, we just took that approach. Okay, to get more people, we have to expand the funnel. What does that mean? You know, blah, 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 blah. And yep. so on the journey goes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, if we look at your journey from when you grew uh, BBG to Sweat since 2013, mm. um, which is now kind of described as the Netflix of health and fitness, mm. where did that idea come from? Yeah. Um, so literally uh, from the same thing about yeah. creating, you know, creating it or effectively creating a problem that didn't really exist and then trying to find a solution for it. Um, but I think at, at that point in time, um, probably didn't think of it this formally, but it was more kind of kind of doing effectively what we'd call a gap analysis and saying like, so if we're currently at, you know, at say 25 million bucks a year in revenue, like how do we get to $100 million a year? And if we're, uh, you know, if we've been able to reach 10 million people, how do we reach 100 million people? Yeah, and this, start to pose some of these kind of, you know, huge questions. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term BHAG, the yeah. big, hairy, audacious goal. goal. Yeah. Um, so we kind of went, again, I didn't necessarily know that term at the time, but yeah. we kind of like, we set these huge goals and then basically went through a process of, of trying to distill like what are some of the actual like real world potential solutions to those problems. Um, and then once we come up with the solutions, which I'll, I'll go through in a sec, but mm. it was kind of, well, like, you know, do these kind of fit our decision making framework, mm. you know, so, you know, feasibility and profitability, scalability, mm. sustainability, these kind of fundamental, you know, business pillars, like, mm. will they actually stand the test, you know, if we were to put them through that? So, and I understand the North Star at that point was mm. how do we build a fitness program that can reach every woman in the world, yeah. am I right? And, yeah. and so there was a layering of questions that, that yeah. followed that North yeah. Star. And so effectively, yeah, so like, and, and again, this was just the, the problem thing, right? So yeah. problem solution. So, okay, like, you know, what are some of the problems that we have? So, Everyone that does Kayla's program or does the workouts like loves it and raves about it. Yeah. Will every woman in the world only ever train that way? No. Okay. Potential solutions. Well, Kayla does other content or we do other content. Well, if Kayla does yoga, she's not a yoga expert and that's unauthentic. Okay. Wrong. All right. So we need more people. So instantly the conversation then becomes about, it's not just about Kayla, it's about a platform. How do we get multiple people to do that? Like what's the business model? Um, yeah. One of the other things was that, you know, perhaps uh, in... Some countries, um, the price point is too high or um, you know, for certain users, they don't want to pay up front or you know, this, that and the other. So um, they can't trial the product without paying it. Okay, cool. So how do we solve those things? So it was kind of a you know, big price point um, at once. You know, drop that down to be a monthly subscription. So cheaper entry, less barriers to entry. Um, you know, okay, people want to try it before they buy it. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll allow a seven-day trial. Okay, great. And then so we start to map out this stuff. And then, well, it couldn't all be PDFs because people can just distribute PDFs at will and do what they want with it. Okay, well, let's let's convert the content to be in a, you know, inside a house where people can't take it out. Okay, cool. Well, now we have the opportunity to do videos instead of images. Okay, yeah. So And then so on the journey goes. Um, but I guess the probably the important point here to, to make is that all of that happened about three or four months after we had actually launched the business. Right. So it wasn't like we hadn't been sitting around for years. It was sort of like we did this thing and it was great and it was we were doing pretty well at the time. But then it immediately kind of went to like, well, what's actually the, what's the big play? Like what's the big like end goal here for the organization? So, And you spoke before about there was, there was then sort of four commercial pillars. Mm -hmm. It sounded like there were four. Yeah. Um, profitability, feasibility, uh, feasibility, sustainability and scalability. Right. Yeah. Talk through talk through each of those. Did you come up with those four just through your yep. own sort of yeah. processes? Talk talk through each of those four. Yeah. So, I mean, the feasibility thing is obviously pretty basic because like, is it actually possible? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can, can you do it? Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think like from a from a business from a business basis, like, is it actually commercial? Yeah. But you know, so do the unit economics actually stack up? Like, yeah. if you're paying a hundred bucks for a customer and you're making ten, yeah, it's 
probably not really yeah. going to work. You know? <laughs> um, I think you know, to push that even further, then you know, the the profitability um, pillar is kind of you know looking at like will the business will the business actually ever reach profitability? Because I think you know my very limited understanding at the time about kind of the way that a lot of other software companies were running is that they they they'd take a loss obviously early on for the first three or four years. You know, IPO, blow up the share price, and everyone will be really happy. Mm. That own shares in the company, mm. and then ultimately three to five years later, when the business tanks, no one's very happy. Yeah. So I was kind of always, I guess, probably if I'm honest, a little fearful about that happening. So I really wanted to grade it to make sure that we could actually do that. Mm. Um, you know, I think the the, sustain, the sustainability piece kind of starts to look at, you know, um, again, like looking at the unit economics, but saying if they are currently this and the cost were to go up at this rate per year, like are we still profitable and therefore mm. is it still feasible and then can we run the business and even environmental and social you know, things I think as well, like where is the industry going, like where are the users going, like what's our demo. Um, and then the scalability things probably you know, kind of looking at the total addressable market and saying, well, if we've, you know, if we've hit 10 million people now globally, um, however many of those, you know, out of our kind of top 10 countries, um, you know, our TAM, total addressable market in our top 10 countries is 175 million women between the age of 16 and 44. You know, so there's a, a market there that's effectively, you know, 20 times nearly what we've achieved. So there's plenty of scale there kind of left to go. Um, so I think that's a really condensed kind of version, but effectively that was really the, the basic process and the view that we had on it at the time. You spoke about CPA, which is which is one of the sort of directions I wanted to take this conversation. You know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube—it's it's all become substantially more complex since yep. you guys um, kicked off in two thousand and thirteen. Yep. Uh, and and it's also become a little bit more competitive, which means it's more expensive yeah. as well. Yep. How have you navigated those changes? Mm-hmm. You know, in the context of making sure the, the the unit economics at a base level still work for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like first and foremost, we never ever acquire or, or sorry, we never ever perpetuate a loss running campaign, ever. But yeah, and so like one of the beauties of um, you know like obviously digital marketing and you know user acquisition strategies um, through channels such as Facebook and Insta and, and YouTube and whatever is that you can literally see in real time and pretty like quick. Like you're either winning or losing. Like there's there's really no ambiguity. Um, How quick? Um, well, I mean, typically speaking, under 60 minutes, you can kind of see whether or not you've, you know, whether you've won or lost. Um, and when you've got like hundreds and hundreds of different pieces of creative across multiple platforms and multiple dimensions and so on and so forth, like, um, I mean, we've got a relatively good aggregate view for that. But it's really important to to be able to you know, understand what is and isn't working, and then effectively be able to make quick decisions on the role of that. Um, ours is definitely probably like now is is, is quite a lot more complex than, mm. you know, than what it was. Like we. Yeah, we um, look at like an accrual-based return on ad spend model over a 28-day last click attribution window, so yeah. which is a lot more complicated than what probably most people are using. Yeah. Um, we also integrate with um, an artificial intelligence-based audience segmentation tool um, because we're advertising to so many different people across so many different countries and, and so forth. We it's, it's it's not possible for us to manually actually do all yeah. the work, so we we use I guess insights and automation to kind of perpetuate the performance. Right. Yeah. What tool is that? Is that a tool that you guys have built? No, we don't. We don't. Right. No. Um, so uh, basically, so Nanigans is a third-party platform that we use. Um, yeah. And they're, yeah, they're basically helping us to, so they're reviewing the data in real time and helping us to discover which audiences are performing best and scaling and descaling the budgets based on where the performance is coming. So, right. yeah. Um, it's a very, very incredibly powerful tool, but it's, it's a little complicated um, and... Also, it's not necessarily available to all businesses of all sizes because it's it's a it's a very yeah, very it's a bit complex and yeah, expensive. Yeah. And so if you were running like a thousand bucks a month to Facebook yeah. ads, it's probably <laughs> not really going to be worth it. But um, 
But if you've got, yeah, like tens of millions of impressions, yeah, it's a bit more important. Um, you don't have to answer this, but but yeah. what what kind of ballpark advertising spend are you guys deploying mm-hmm. on a monthly basis? Yeah, um, so it does it varies quite a lot. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean we we've seen like like country by country, like literally could change. We can go from zero dollars to a hundred dollars sort of thing, like yeah. you know, on a daily basis. But right. um, I think for us, like the more important thing is not necessarily actually the amount of money we spend, because obviously the more you spend, effectively the higher frequency you get um, in a certain market and you saturate performance. Like yeah. the more important thing for us, I think is more so around how we balance the performance. Um, so I kind of mentioned the term like marketing economics before, you know, supply and demand and so on and so forth. So we kind of came up with a, this is a little bit kind of granular, but we came up with a really specific um, you know, budget management system internally that allows us to mandate you know, however many users we're actually reaching at the really top of the funnel that we're not even trying to sell to, we're just trying to get in contact with. Yep. Um, and then a second portion of the budget, which is basically about getting those people and pulling them down through to a sale. Yep. Um, because if you're just running, if you're continually running effectively like direct like you know, call to action sales campaigns to a particular audience, no matter how big the audience is, like if you're, if they're, cold leads, you're probably just going to piss them off. Yeah. Like that's reality. Yeah. Um, and if they're warm leads and they don't engage and the frequency is really high, you're yeah. also going to piss them off. Yeah. You know, so I think part of it is you're managing the budget through different stages of the funnel rather than just saying, oh, we spend 10 grand a month doing yeah. blah. It's more yeah. about well, like where does the budget actually go and what's the ratio and, and how do we filter that? So so practically, that that's a really interesting point and very pertinent, particularly mm. for, for anybody that is spending, let's say, mm. 10K plus per month. Yeah. Um, Practically, what do you guys do to not saturate either cold or warm audiences yeah. in, that, in that context? Um, so, I mean, obviously, we have some like performance stop gaps. Like, yeah. so effectively, like if a uh, you know frequency gets above X, or if um, the return on ad spend gets below Y, um, I think as well there's, there's some very deliberate you know monitoring about you know so most like a lot of like really kind of you know anyone working in user acquisition or advertising will really basically be saying like. I got this many sales today and that was my budget and I did it with the amount of spend I had or less. Like that's typically the way they would view it. Mm. We obviously look at that, but then the next kind of layer of that is like, well, out of those, like how many have we taken from the top top of our funnel and how many do we need to replace at the top of our funnel? And then yeah. so that's just a different form of CPA. You know? yeah. So it's it's more about engagement and new reach rather than yeah. it's actually about sales. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I could be here for a long time talking about it, but there's yeah. also kind of, you know, question about well, like, so then how many fans a day is that and how many new users to the website a day how many yeah. repeat visitors how many new email subs like it there's many 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 layers but yeah, yeah yeah how do you balance budget between audience growth and audience build mm-hmm. and moving people through funnels and yeah. so i'm um, just literally through supply and demand and experimentation right. so like so for example like we roughly spend um 20 of our advertising budget or budget in general um basically on the growth of brand and growth of engagement yep um and then 80 percent of that or well, the remainder is then divided across different stages of the funnel but effectively yep. for the purpose of pushing them down through the yep. sales experience yep um i mean obviously like so it's in in modern day digital marketing it's not so much about like you know this is my top of funnel level one two three and then buy it's a yeah. little bit more complicated yeah, and it's yeah. obviously it's more about one-to-one marketing yeah um but so yeah rather than saying it's 20 and 80 it is 20 and 80 but the 80 percent is divided across like an array of different stages of, of yeah. a person's life cycle yeah so. yeah it's been quite the journey for you i mean this this growth has been so fast mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What's been the biggest challenge for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think 
there's always a lot. Um, so mm. I don't think it's 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 never kind of been about like what's the what's the biggest. It's kind of mm-hmm. what's the biggest at the exact point in time mm. that I'm currently in. <laughs> um, but I think one that's probably been um, that's probably been constant for me is kind of been communication. Um, so for me. Yeah, because I spend a lot of time reading and because obviously I've been in and out of almost every area of the organization, I have great context. Well, I personally have great context. Yeah. Um, but then when we're bringing in new individuals to the organization or even looking at someone who's been in a certain area of the business but not another area, like I'm having a conversation with them about something and they might not necessarily know what I'm talking about because yeah. they haven't had the exposure to it. Yeah. Um, and so like for me, you know, personally, like I very often just kind of talk about it as if everyone knows what I'm talking about, um, not realizing that I need to give them the context. Um, so I think for, for, for me and like probably everyone in the company, but definitely my leadership team, like that's been a really kind of a big learning curve for me that you know, I need to stop to give people the context and stop to give them the opportunity to learn yep. so that we can all talk about the same stuff at the same level. Yep. Yeah. yeah. What's been the journey for you as a CEO? How many in your team now? Uh, about 70. 70. Yeah. And, uh, and leadership team of five or six, I'm guessing. Um, no, we've got a lot of disciplines. So we've probably got about 12, 10 right. or 12 in a leadership team. Right. Um, right. And we're just kind of going through the process of hiring um, like an executive layer at the moment. So yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the key capabilities? I mean, you mentioned communication as one that you mm. feel you've needed to develop as a yeah. as a CEO. Yeah, so I think comms is definitely one. Yeah. Um, I think, um, yeah, I definitely think, obviously, like I mentioned before, like the learning and the reading, like that's definitely one. Um, How much do you read? Um, I mean, it's probably a hard thing to measure, but I think, yeah. you know, like l- last year I probably read close on 60 or 70 books um, and I'm subscribed to probably 30 newsletters that I get one every few days sort yeah. of thing. Um, but I mean... I, I don't know, like I'm, you know, that podcasts, yeah. meeting with people, asking questions. Like, there's, there's so much kind of transient learning that happens. But um, I think, um, you know, the learning piece for me was never necessarily really hard. But the mode of learning was definitely a really, really big, you know, kind of challenge. So for me, I just like to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, a, I'm the, like I'm, you know, kinesthetic. Like I like to actually be Experience doing things it. to learn it. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, reading books and whatever for me, like when I very first, I only started reading literally like probably two years ago. Um, yeah, because wow. previously, like I, I played piano my whole life. And so you would look at the music and reading is kind of doing. Like you don't just read the music and then sit going, okay. Yeah, like you read it and then you play it, right? right. So um, when I got to you know business, one of us like, I'm just reading and I'm like, but I can't actually do this today. I can't do all this right now. Like I need to log the information and you'd be able to call on that later. Like right. that was, it, def- it just felt a bit slow. Right. So... How is your retention these days? Um, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think the important things, are, yeah, is about being able to recall on pieces of information and figure out how they interact with one another. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of as we mentioned before, like it's not about being heaps necessarily deep into every category, but yeah. understanding enough service level stuff to plug them together. So I think. Um, I don't know, like, I, I just, personally, I've always had a really kind of funny way of, like, putting stuff together. It just kind of ends up working. Um, but, yeah, I just, just don't know just how my brain works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the things I often talk to entrepreneurs about is in, intelligence and intellect isn't just in your mind. I mean, mm. I mean, sorry, isn't just in your brain. Yeah. You know, your whole body is a mind, mm. right? Mm. There's, there's memory and there's intelligence mm-hmm. stored throughout our entire body. And so... If you're doing the reading and you're doing the intellectual stuff, mm. but you're not taking care of yourself, your mm. intellectual capacities are, are greatly diminished. Yeah. I mean, health and fitness is obviously something you're deeply into. Yeah. How, uh, how important do you think that has been, the, the, mm. the health, fitness, emotional fitness, all that sort of stuff has mm. been to your ability to ride this wave and to, mm. and, to, and to grow this movement the way you have? Yeah, I think... Um 
a lot for an abundance of different perspectives, but you know, something as simple as like being able to be awake and be switched on for as yeah. many hours a day as you need to, like it requires a certain amount of um, you know, discipline, right? Yeah. Like if you, you you can't do you know fourteen to sixteen hours a day of work and meetings and whatever back to back, like you know, for multiple days on end, if you don't have discipline to actually show up and be there, like because yeah. anyone could show up to the meeting, but if you're yeah. like yeah, you know, like that's not you're not really evaluating, right? And yeah. especially like if you're the leader, like you need to like you need to be on yeah. like a hundred percent every day. Yeah. Um. So I think like you know definitely being yeah healthy and fit generally and having a pretty good like or like comprehensive understanding of nutrition and whatever definitely helps because it allows yeah. me to actually be awake. Yeah. Um. But I think uh, you know a, ho- a whole bunch of other parallels can be drawn like you know people who are you know typically operate in an elite level in sport or fitness. You know their goal setting. They're strategizing about how to achieve their goals, then they achieve their goals, and then they move on to the next goal. Um, yeah. And and businesses obviously, you know, very much about that. Like, you know, what's the goal? What's the process? Discipline to you know um, be obedient effectively to the process, and then you know delivery. Mm. Um, and so there's 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 a lot of parallels. I mean, even yeah, you know, from a um, performance psychology perspective, like a lot of people who do elite athlete like coaching and performance psych are also doing you know kind of business and CEO or executive level mm. you know psych too. So. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels there. But if you ever, this might sound like a really mm. strange question. Had any military experience? No, no, no. no, no, right. no. I, I've read bits and pieces about it, but right. um, actually, like, funnily enough, if I wasn't kind of doing anything in fitness, I did kind of comprehend whether or not I would do yeah. that one day. But yeah, no, I've I can never. See that. No, I've never ever um, never been there. Right, right, right. You 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 sound very disciplined and and quite regimented mm. in your approach. I've, I've got a number of mates that have come from military and are now CEOs. And yeah, there's I, I, we're actually interviewing for for an ops manager at the moment, and one of them does have a military background. Yeah, I love it because mm. it's just you know so sequenced and mm. processed. Yeah, well, I think um yeah, if anyone's mastered it, it's definitely the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I just want to go back to audience quickly. As we said, the, the, the landscape has changed quite considerably. If, mm-hmm. if you were to start again today mm-hmm. um, and with limited budgets, no audience, mm-hmm. what would be the key things you'd be looking at and doing mm-hmm. to, to build audience now? Um, so above all other things, 100% brand like inarguably. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think actually like it's probably a really, really good um, opportunity to talk about. So earlier last year in May of 2017, um, Sweat kind of, you know, really officially released uh, um, new trainers into the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those new trainers was um, a girl called Kelsey Wells, um, who's who we've been working with since. And she, um, you know, for us, like from a business perspective, obviously, you know, bringing her in was great and she's done so well. And she's like, she's amazing to work with. But I think... Um, we're not going to go and spend the same amount of money on Kayla. Oh, sorry, on Kelsey that we would if we were spending it on Kayla. Because like sure. with Kayla, we've got the setup, we've got the ecosystem, we've got all the measurements, and it's all in place. We know it's working. Yeah. We're not going to go and dump like a lot of money into ads in the same way because we've got to build the history, we've got to get the yeah. performance metrics and Proof set it up and whatever, right? Yeah. So obviously, for us early on, it was like, okay, well, so what did we do back then? To achieve growth that we can do now to achieve growth and how do we implement it in similar ways you know so for us it was really all about like like creating the brand and creating the messaging and the story and whatever because ultimately like you know brand is going to be the key differentiator between you know two similar products in, in any given industry right yeah. like ultra high quality brand is going to allow you to 
reach a greater audience, generate better word of mouth, yeah. um, charge more for your product, you know, have better retention and so on and so forth. So yeah. we, you know, we really focused on like, how do we do that for Kelsey? And you yeah. know, I think, um, you know, I mean, the performance kind of speaks for itself. She's gone from half a million fans to 1.7 million on Instagram. Right. Um, she's gone from zero fans on Facebook to over half a million. Yeah. You know, um, so I tend to think that they're pretty good, you know, pretty good measures of success. And that really, a lot of that is really stimulated purely by how like she, as an individual and as a brand, interacts with her audience. Right, so. right. And so interaction is, is probably one. What, what are two or three things that um, people that are watching or listening can do mm. to build brand? Well, I think um, it, it's, it's a really good question. I think, like, kind of get asked this one a lot, and people really very often say, like, oh, what are the top three things I should be doing to generate my brand? It's like, well, the top three things you should do are really one thing. It's figure out what you're not. Yeah, and like it's a really interesting kind of question because most people go, well, what do you mean what I'm not? And I'm like, well, by deciding exactly what you are not, it tells you exactly what you will do. You know, because I think if you if you, you can create some huge long list of like we are this and we are that and we are this and we are that, but then if you hand that to an abundance of people on the team, they know what you are, but they still don't know what you're not. Yeah, you know, so when they're creating content or they're working with you to do, you know, like to, to strategize or plan, create content, messaging, blogs, newsletters, PR, whatever it is, right? They're sitting there saying, oh, like, well, these are the things that we should be focusing on. But it doesn't actually give them any boundaries to not go outside of. Um, and I think, like, you know, the, the the issue that a lot of people have, and you know, the influencer space is a really, really tremendous one. That like, there's a lot of people who have built great audiences, but because they don't know what they're not, they regularly go outside the bounds of that for the purpose of making money. But all that actually does is deteriorate the brand quality and then it diminishes the amount of opportunity that they have in the future. So I love that. What is Kayla not? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's, she's not sexual. She's not provocative. She's not cheap. She's not discounted. She's not purchasable. You can't pay for Kayla to do an endorsement. Yeah, so one of the, one of the things that wow. we really focused on early on and, like, and it's not by lack of opportunity. Yeah, right, Kayla's probably, I think, well, I would say probably has the largest following and loyal following of any fitness individual, like or training, like personal training individual in the yeah, world. Yeah. Right. But I, I actually don't, I don't ever think we've actually done a paid shout out ever. Or if we can, I, I can't, wow. can't remember it. But wow. I think there's a really and simple that opportunity would be big. Yeah. Like, it's like it's millions of dollars. Millions but like, <laughs> but there's a few really simple statements though that like kind of help us avoid that. And so, so what value does that add to our customers? Yeah. Yeah, and so like for, from Kayla's brand perspective, would would she or would we like as an organization, are we trying to build people who are influencers or are we trying to build people who are influential? Mm. Two very distinct things. Mm. You know, like because if you're constantly being like, you know, like this is absolutely my favorite herbal tea or like this is my favorite shampoo or whatever, like it's people know that you're getting paid for that and yeah. that, that they, they, you lose credibility and you lose yeah. trust, right? Yeah. So then when you actually do come to say something that's big time, like, oh, this is actually my product, like quickly, like go and buy it now. Yeah. They're like, eh, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, but if you say nothing for a really long time and then you actually say like, no, like I genuinely actually really like this thing, people are like, wow, like that must be real. Mm. That must be real and it must, that must be a really true representation of that. She must really value that. Mm. Therefore, I am valuing that. Mm. So it's a very, very different mindset. Powerful concept. What is sweat not? Well, I mean, sweat's not, again, like we're not the company that you go to if you want to get abs in four weeks. Pretty simple. Like, yeah, we, we want people who are coming to us to, you know, to change their life or improve their health and fitness in one way or another. You know, so you don't come to us to, to get a six pack in four weeks. Like, you know, you don't come to us if you, 
if you if you're looking for a brand that's going to you know attack your insecurities to sell you something because we just won't like I mean mm-hmm. in, in many campaigns we've literally like we, we won't discount our product because I don't we don't, we don't need to um, yeah in many campaigns we won't um, yeah, we won't say like these are the results that you're going to get about your body because it's not about your body like, it's mm. about how you feel and what you think about yourself. Mm. Um, so it, it's you're, you're never going to see those things from us as a brand. And mm. every single person who knows us and who works for us knows that. Like you're never, I'm I'm never ever going to see a photo of a woman wearing lingerie like mm. on Sweat's brand because that's just not on brand with what mm. we do. Like we're not promoting that type of mentality. Mm. Steve Jobs said creating company values is a little bit about what we're going to say yes to, but mainly mm. what we're going to say mm. no to. Yeah, so that we can stand for something and prioritize and have a framework through yeah. which to make decisions. I mean, the lingerie point is a good one. I mm. would have imagined if you got in the absence of those values mm. throughout the years, that might have been tempting, particularly mm. on a platform like Instagram where those mm. kinds of things rate quite highly and, you know. Oh, see, that's a that's a really, really great topic to talk about, like, in terms of, you know, social, because, like, again, this is, you know, the lingerie one's a really great example. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, what's the most important metric like on social and people yes. are like, oh, like engagement, engagement and your yeah. likes and comments and your fan growth and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, would you rather have a million fans who, you know, probably for lack of a better language, a million fans who like your butt yeah. you know, or, or 100,000 fans who will take every piece of advice that you have to give and genuinely believe in everything that you have to say? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the, the results of that are, you know, the results of that are kind of, you know, they're, they're inarguable. I mean, you look at like, again, like someone like Kelsey, like she has not got the biggest fan base in the industry. There's a lot of people with the same or way more fans than her, but she drives a lot more attention, a lot more media. You know, she drives a lot more website traffic and a lot more leads, you know, to her program and has more people using her program than, to my knowledge, probably anybody else in the world other than Kayla. Mm. Yeah, and mm. so and that, that has not happened by chance. Like mm. that's a very mm. deliberate thing. 100%. Yeah. So if someone's watching this and they're, marketing manager or their marketing person is sort of mm-hmm. bringing them engagement stats every week and they're mm-hmm. going, I, I get the sense that there's something more important than engagement that mm-hmm. we're not yet looking at and, mm-hmm. and rather than measuring it purely on engagement because then that just does become a popularity contest and yeah. who's got the nice bard or who's got the mm-hmm. most motivational quote that day, yeah. which can be quite a shallow game. Mm-hmm. What's the What are the key things that we are looking at yeah. if it's not engagement? Yeah, well, look, I mean, so look, it, it's obviously really handy to have quantitative metrics such as engagement and whatever to grade that. But mm. I think that the view on those metrics should be, you know, so if we take a step back, whatever you do with your marketing should be fitting your your brand, your values and your messaging and whatever. Like how does it how does it contribute to the needs and desires of your personas? So you should yeah. have there you know, should be some personas obviously within your marketing team, right? So yeah. I think that it should always be we need to create this piece of content for this persona. Yeah. How do we get the best engagement doing that? It's never ever just how do we get the best engagement? Because if you want to get the best engagement, you just upload some controversial crap because, like you know, like or funny stuff because yeah. people will double tap that and comment it and share it all day. Yeah. But it's not actually adding. It's definitely not probably going to add brand value, but it's yeah. also not actually going to make the business money. And yeah. you know, I think in order for a company to serve its consumers best, you know, you need to generate revenue. Yeah. But also in order to generate revenue you have to serve your customers best. Yeah. You know, so the relationship has to be there. Like yeah. you can't, it's, it's not all about the, what got the most likes and what got the most comments. Yeah. You know, it, that, that only matters if you've already satisfied the requirements from a branding perspective. Yes. Love it. Love yeah. it. I absolutely love that. Jesse, can you please pass in my phone? I want to draw on questions that we've got from our Instagram community that they want to ask Toby. I absolutely love this what are we not thing. It's something mm. I haven't thought about for a couple of years. Jesse, can you make a note of that? I actually want to create a what we are not list for Jack and the entourage. Mm-hmm. 
or for me. And yeah. <laughs> in the third person. Yeah, in way. third person. Yeah. <laughs> that's how serious I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that's that's powerful. That's really powerful. Okay, so um, we've got a bunch of questions here. I might come back to them in a minute as my internet loads. Let's, uh, let's do some rapid-fire questions. Actually, here we go. Uh, this from Jay Steltari. The operations of the business. I love that you guys are in Adelaide, by the way. That's so freaking cool. <laughs> Will the operations of the business still remain in Adelaide? If so, why? Um, well, I think uh, we will definitely always have a presence in Adelaide, that's for sure. Um, I think, you know, from a, a purely non-commercial perspective, um, I live there and I've always lived yeah. there. Our family, like Kara and I, our families are there. Um, you know, I think, like, to be honest, um, you know, why, I think, the, again, the question is probably, like, why would we leave? I mean, like, yes, a lot of people will say, like, there's there's more this and that elsewhere and whatever, but, like, the reality is that, you know, like, when Apple started and when Google started and whatever, like, half of the roles and people that work in those companies, those jobs didn't even exist then, you know, but what did exist was people who were intelligent and motivated, and yeah. Adelaide's got plenty of those. Yeah. Um, and I think, as well, if, if we can be an organisation in South Australia that actually makes other, you know, really smart, motivated individuals want to move there, then I think that's great. That's a, that's a big value add. So. 100%. Mm. Uh, let's do some rapid-fire questions to finish off. Sure. Uh, we, we, this first one we've discussed a little bit, but it'd be good mm. to get another one from you. What's a popular piece of business or marketing advice that you violently disagree with and why? Violently disagree with? Yeah. Like engagement yeah. is king, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that's, that's, prob that's probably a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. I think... Um, yeah, I mean, like with the, the way that I've often referred to them, you know, it's kind of vanity metrics. Yeah. Um, you know, because they they make make you feel good, they make you look good, and other yeah. people look at it and think that you're doing good, but like, do they actually necessarily correlate with you know business performance? Yep. Um, so I think yeah, the the, the marketing, yeah, the, the the quintessential like oh, like maximize engagement, you know, this that the other and whatever. It's like if you can't actually like link that, you know, through causation like into a business metric, it doesn't this is a little redundant? Yeah. Like, Complete vanity. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself in the last year? Um, probably a bit, bit more than a year ago, but just that, that I talk really fast. Um, <laughs> because, because uh, again, like if you're the person talking, you're just it, you, you just the words come out as you think them, right? So you're talking, but I think almost every single person that I have ever had come and work for me, like one of the first things they say is like, "Can you can you just repeat that? Can you just okay, cool? Can you slow down?" Please just, okay, all right, great. And then so, you know, I need to talk a little bit slower. But I just, uh, yeah, that for me, it, it never ever occurred to me that I actually spoke quickly. So, yeah, 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 yeah. What's the most meaningful or best question uh, you don't get asked? Like, do you, like in doing mm. interviews and, and conversations, like, do you ever think, man, more people should be asking me that? There's a lot of mm. richness there that's, that's, mm. that's unmined. That's a pretty good question, actually. Um, what question do I not get asked? Or mm. do I, ask? um, well, I think, um, well, I mean, I, I think probably it, it's one question that could be used anywhere, but it's just the why question, mm. right? So it's why, 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 you know, mm. like, so very often, like, I, you know, be talking in interviews and this, that, and the other, and then this, you know, actually been really good today because, like, mm. when, you know, you'll ask a question and we'll, we'll respond to it, and it's like, but tell me more, but tell me more. And mm. so I think, like, you know, very often, yeah, and, and even, like, because I, I do a bit of mentoring in that as well, and, you know, when I like talking to people, let us, 
they take what you say kind of as as gospel or as just the whole truth or whatever. But like, I think it's the okay, cool. So if that's your opinion, but why? Yeah. And why is that the way? And and like, and how did you? And when did you validate that? And why should I keep doing this? And and whatever. Because I think inevitably, yeah, it doesn't matter what area of work you're in, whether you're a business owner or not, but even just even an employee of an organization at any level. But the why question is is inevitably always going to be the most important one, and I don't think it's one that people ask enough. So. What's been uh, the key habit or two that you think you've developed that's mostly contributed to your success? Uh, I think I'd be lying if I did not say time management. Right. Um, so I think that's one. And I think that's one that I've continued to develop at different levels. Yeah. Um, you know, so kind of early on, it's like, oh, I've got so many things to do. Okay, I'll schedule them to my calendar, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of do them sort of in that order, and I'll, I'll sort of finish at this sort of time, and we'll sort of whatever, um, you know. And then the further that kind of you know goes, eventually it gets to the point where you go from scheduling everything in one hour blocks to thirty minutes to fifteen minutes to ten minutes, and then when the timer goes up, it's cool, see you done, like we're finished, next meeting sort of thing. So I think the time management thing's definitely been one, um, but to be honest, that's probably the, the 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 one that speaks volumes the most, yeah. If we went back to the day you started in 2013, mm-hmm. what's the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself knowing what you know now? Um, I think probably, and perhaps hopefully this does not go against a whole bunch of things that I've said today, um, but I think, um, I think it's really important to be kind of gentle on yourself in, the, in relation yeah. to the fact that you don't need to know everything. Like it's more about, like for me, it's more about you know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable yeah right because um yeah, i think that the, the way that I, i've kind of typically communicated this previously was that like if you've got a team of people or an individual or whatever and you're running a business and you you know you're, you're currently at a million in revenue and you want to build it to 10 million in revenue like that requires one level of performance and one level of capacity and capability but then once you get to that 10 if you want to go to 50 million dollars a year that requires a different type of business and a different type of people and a different type of performance and capabilities and capacity so you know if you're if you're in an if an organization that's kind of continually growing and changing and the complexities are increasing and such like it, it, one you can't know everything and two like don't get comfy because there is no comfy you know um i think uh there's a a guy called reed hoffman um yeah, founder of linkedin yeah. um and he he kind of describes it you know reed goes on to say that you know like building a building a business a big business or a growth company is kind of like you know jumping off a cliff and building the plane on the way down yeah um, and like that's that's literally as it is because every yeah. part that you complete there's another part to do and things yeah. are changing and and the the ground is ever you know moving towards you ever yeah. ever more rapidly yeah um so i think yeah getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is a really really important characteristic of kind of any successful entrepreneur yeah yeah mm. Toby, I do countless number of interviews every week and I've been doing so for 10 years. So it takes a remarkable human <laughs> being for me to sit here and actually, I was seriously engaged throughout that entire conversation. And man, you've inspired me. You're a really good entrepreneur, CEO, human mm. being. Thanks for having you've, me, man. I was, I was a fan of, of you guys before from a brand perspective, but mm. you've turned me into a complete fan of you as a CEO and entrepreneur today, oh, brother. Thank you. It means Bef- a lot. Before we wrap, where can people find you? They want to sort of follow yeah. your journey and Caitlin's yeah. journey, where, where do we do that? Sure, so I mean, um, obviously, I mean, all, all of our trainers, I think, are having individual journeys, so I think it's important to follow them. Um, they've all got, you know, so Kelsey Wells, um, Sianna, uh, Elise, and Kayla at Cenas, obviously, all have um, their social handles. Um, from a business perspective, all of the all of the cool, funky consumer stuff is obviously just on Sweat, so um, Sweat Facebook and Sweat at Sweat on Instagram. Um, and then uh, I think at Sweat on LinkedIn and Toby Pierce on LinkedIn, if you want to see a bit more of the, the business-facing stuff and what's happening, kind of, 
yeah, or what's what's next happening. So perfect. And so we'll link yeah. up to that. Whether you're listening to this or watching this, uh, some of those links will be around. Most important question: It's seen us rather than. It's it's science. It's science. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's uh, the proper pronunciation is it's seen us. Right. Um, but everyone says it's science, so we usually just kind of we let them yeah. we let them say because it's it's kind of awkward to be like we're introducing Caleb. Wrong. Yeah. Like, so we just, we, let, we kind of let it we let it fly. But let it roll. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I think we're slowly uh, yeah slowly kind of converting the world to understand the the Greek pronunciation. But uh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Toby Pierce, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I'm Jack Delosa. If you enjoyed listening, make sure you hit subscribe and you'll be the first in line to get every new episode sent directly to your phone. While you're at it, open Instagram and connect with me. My handle is simply at Jack Delosa, D-E-L-O-S-A. This is where you'll find me every day sharing the secrets of scaling multi-million dollar businesses and giving you a behind the scenes look at what it really takes to build a life that you love. You can also find me on all the usual places, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Just search Jack DeLosa. Thanks again for listening. And as always, dream out loud. That's a wrap. Yeah.